Welcome to this Women in Safety podcast. This is a show that provides a supportive space for women in safety careers. We break down the barriers and provide opportunities for growth. Make sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified of new episodes and join us. Now, here's your Women in Safety podcast host, Tamara Paris. So hi, and welcome to another Woman in Safety show. We've got a great show lined up for you. We've got Bernadette Prozer, who is a contract EHS specialist at Splunk, and Don Cameron, who is the CEO of Stay Safe. So we're going to have a great conversation looking at the lone worker, and we're going to dig in a little bit about what does it take to properly manage the lone worker. So why don't I toss it off to you, Bernadette, to kind of share a little bit about how did you get into the EHS area that you're in right now? Okay, so I started in environment and waste and initially worked for a number of waste management and consultancy companies. Over time, um, the skills that I gathered in those companies were useful in more of the producer responsibility and product sector. Throughout my career, environment was the beginning, but then I realised that it needed to be more well-rounded, and I uh, trained more in health and safety. Mm -hmm. And then in the last three to four years, I've gradually moved into working for tech and telecoms companies. Awesome. Awesome. And Don, what's your story? Can you share a little bit with us? Yeah, sure. Good morning, everybody, or good day, everybody. Um, yeah, I've been, from my side, 30 plus years in technology businesses. And uh, for 10 of those, I've been involved in using technology for security and eventually for loan worker safety. Mm -hmm. So to help people safeguard people working alone in, in the environment. And I guess for the last seven years of those 10, I've been CEO of Stay Safe, uh, which is a company specializing in lone worker protection. Now, lone worker is a special place in my heart because I do come from um, originating from CCTV. So I had a lot of times people doing night work in parking lots in empty buildings at night, as well as when I was in retail, um, sometimes we would have just one or two workers in the overnight crew working in separate areas of the store doing different things. So I'm really glad that we're touching on this subject. And I wanted to kind of kick it off to see, like, have you noticed since the, the pandemic, any changes with the lone worker and remote workers and what people maybe need to be thinking about in relation to risks? Um, for me, certainly across the pandemic, the biggest change has been employees moving from being office-based to being remotely based at home. Um, before the pandemic, a number of companies were sometimes skeptical of people working from home and were sometimes reluctant to allow people to work from home. Those individuals who did tended to be quite prepared for it and organized and had worked it through with their companies how to do it. Mm -hmm. But then we suddenly in March uh, 2020 just had a tectonic shift of everybody being asked to work from home and it's presented a lot of challenges I think it's been quite isolating for people and it's not been the pleasurable change to flexibility that um, remote working has been in the past for some workers. Yeah I think from my side certainly that shift to home working has been a huge change 
but also just I think there are a lot more people now working alone in the field. So when they do go out, so I was talking to uh, a large US telco recently, and they were saying that their field staff, when they're out, are now increasingly out on empty streets, whereas mm -hmm. before there'd have been lots of other people around. Um, we've got another client that's moved from two-man operation to one-man operation because they don't want to have two people in the cab of the vehicle going out on site. Mm -hmm. So I think all of these lots and lots of changes have resulted in a lot more people working alone. I think the other aspect of it, and I'm sure Bernadette can comment on this, is that quite often the environments they're going out to are more stressed. So we work with a lot of people in social care and medical care, and we know that when they're out in people's houses now, quite often those household environments are more stressed. More people are out of work. There are people having to look after their kids in confined environments. They're worried about their future employment prospects, whole series mm. of things that just make them more stressed. And then they're more likely to uh, threaten or assault people in their home. Yeah, I, I'm going to throw a little bit of a wrench because as an EHS professional myself, um, one of our responsibilities is to be foreseeing potential risks. And so I was kind of taken aback that um, people didn't kind of think about, well, what happens if we can't come into the office? What would our plan be um, if we can't have all our workers? Like that kind of um, took me for a loop because that's like 101 in safety education. Um, were you, Bernadette, kind of surprised at the amount of people that didn't have a plan for their office workers to be at home and, and looking after that kind of responsibility? So I've been quite fortunate both in my current employer and in my previous employer, which was the large, I think, American telcos company that Don referenced. They actually did have business continuity employees in their business and teams mm -hmm. and so there were parts of this that had been thought about what was never anticipated was it for it to be a blanket global um reaction mm -hmm. one of the other things that i think has thrown a lot of people for a curveball as well was at the start of the pandemic from governments there was confused information around things like face masks or face mm -hmm. coverings and ppe and there were good reasons behind that um, in relation to them needing supply for medical care staff. And also because it was such a new virus that nobody had done the research around. But going back to what Don's just said, that's one of the areas where I think a lot of stress and anxiety has occurred because it is such a polarised topic with people, even just for me outside of work doing normal activities like going to the supermarket mm -hmm. it's really frustrating when people despite all of the government regulations and all of the information still refuse to wear things like face masks and if you wear a face mask and you look at somebody the wrong way because they haven't got one on you can end up being on the receiving end of microaggressions right or if you don't keep your distance properly because you didn't watch when you were going to fetch an item and so that for the loan worker going to certain places can be a big issue. 
Also, at the moment, while planning things like return to offices, employees who aren't necessarily engaged normally in safety because they've had quite low risk office jobs don't necessarily like the idea that employers are saying when we return to office, you're going to have to wear masks. So there's been a lot more challenges and a lot more just general tension that even the best planner in the world, I don't think could have foreseen coming. Um, I think there's a lot of expectation for employers to know the answer to everything, for managers to manage and for businesses to plan. And we can all plan for a lot of things, but it's, it's the big things that you don't always see coming. You have to be skilled in almost how you respond as much in how you planned. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting um, because the microaggression that you, you were talking about, that goes back to um, the stresses that people then are fielding, whether they be a lone worker in one environment or a remote worker inside a home where they're dealing with other people. And so I wanted to kind of move the conversation into what is our legal responsibility around loan workers? Can you share a bit about that? Um, yeah, uh, it, it's kind of managed differently in many different countries. So I um, mainly work across the EMEA space at the moment. And while loan working has been quite strongly addressed in the context of things like engineers going out and doing installations and the more well-known loan working environment for the more remote situation that where many companies are commonly ending up in at the moment the the sort of the legal context that's being relied on is many governments described employers has been responsible for the employee's workplace Mm -hmm. now that workplace traditionally may have been an office but that workplace now is their home so workplace is workplace you have responsibilities um whatever address you place that work at um what has been quite strongly focused on at the moment has been more so the ergonomic um side of things for the remote worker so making sure that you set their workplace up with equipment or show them how to fix the equipment they've got into a way that's suitable and then what has been the more increasing conversation over time since March last year has been the mental health Mm -hmm. of the workers so there again are regulations around mental health and stress in some European countries they call it psychosocial Mm -hmm. um in other countries they are much more um referring specifically to the word stress so those have been the legal um, frameworks under which we're managing the remote worker situation more so at the moment rather than looking at the technical side of things of having a monitoring or check-in but over time it's kind of developed as well with lots of guidance coming out and lots of discussion around managers just checking in with people using zoom calls that are regularly scheduled to to help people manage this completely new issue that's that's come up in the last 12 months and over time I think people have got better at it Mm. um so leading up to Christmas time because everybody couldn't have the social events together where they talked things number of companies organized so things like food and wine to be sent for people's homes all at the same time and for them to have that link up together and talk which is a nice to have but is also a very imaginative way of managing legal mm-hmm. responsibilities of involving people and making sure they feel they're looked after 
where it's heading to now is more so risk assessing the workplace. The conversation is starting now around not just what's your desk setup, but what have you thought about to be safe at home? How would you let somebody know if you're not feeling safe at home or if you've got a problem? And I think, Don, you've, you've kind of sort of come across quite a lot of that recently as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I guess we're seeing, particularly for the home-based worker, mm-hmm. I think we're seeing two things. One is some, some employers have started to look at how they can automate some of that checking in that you described. Mm-hmm. So if you have people who are working at home, how do I check in regularly and just know they're okay? And I think particularly so with certain groups of staff, So if you've got staff who perhaps have medical conditions Mm -hmm. uh, that might make them more vulnerable, if they're at home rather than at work, but they're still your responsibility, how do you make sure they're okay? So we've got some uh, employers who've rolled out solutions to the home workers to help them safeguard them in that environment. I I think that on the broader subject of, of lone working, We've also just seen more focus on it recently. Mm -hmm. So I think the whole thing of, okay, how do we look after our people at home? They've also had another look at how they look after their people generally in the field, particularly as some of the circumstances and situations those people work in have changed. So we're seeing a lot more interest in protecting people out in the field. And that's both from a a legal point of view. And as you say, the legislation varies hugely around the world, but also increasingly from a, uh, I guess, a a moral and financial point of view that people are concerned. So we deal with a number of multinationals who are rolling out this solution in environments with almost no health and safety legislation or at least badly enforced health and safety Mm -hmm. legislation just because they as the employer feel that it's morally the right thing to do i think one of the other things as well is it's not just moral people know that when workers feel protected and happy and when things like their mental health being looked after they get better performance so there's there's good business reasons to make sure that you don't end up with employees either being ill or um you know suffering from this huge change and um there's a, employee assist programs have become a very common tool as well being used across um many different companies and countries but a lot of times people have never felt they needed them whereas now the conversation has very much changed in the last 12 months where everyone has started to have that recognition that we're all globally going through something together and I've never heard so many people open up about how they feel Mm -hmm. as I have in the last sort of six to 12 months and about the pressures they feel and the concerns they have so a lot of companies I think are actually doing some very good work both because of their legal duties but also because of their moral um, feeling and their general need to support their workforce to make um, their workforce productive and to make sure that we get through this. 
You know, one area I'd like to kind of drill down a little bit more on is the soft skills that are needed to manage people. Because I do think a lot of people flip to the technical and checking off lists. And that in itself can be very stressful. I've heard mm-hmm. cases where managers are actually having people put their webcams on all day just so they can watch them and make sure that they're working. And That's so- horrible. Yeah, there are, there's a lot of things. I mean, and, and the other thing that you also have to think of is, is when people domestically live in different types of environment. So, you know, some people may be all alone in the house and isolated with nobody to talk to. Others may have um, their kids around and that creates um, certain joys as well as stresses being a parent myself. But other people may be with a, a partner that at times can get quite abusive. So when we're looking now into the privacy of somebody's home and it becomes their workplace, to me, Um, There has to be a lot of emotional intelligence on the basis of the management who are managing people. What are your thoughts around that? I agree that there needs to be emotional intelligence, but that also working internationally is sometimes a lack of realization that the situation in one country is different to another. Mm-hmm. So um, in France, up until a few weeks ago, there was a mandatory curfew overnight starting from six o'clock at night until eight o'clock in the morning. Um, that's very restrictive for people, whereas in places like Poland and Sweden, the restrictions were much lighter. And so the pressures on staff were much less. Um, it is hard sometimes to know whether something is an emotional issue going on with an employee that you might need to support and help with, especially because a lot of people have been taken on in jobs throughout the pandemic and have not necessarily even ever face-to-face met their managers before. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas there are some people who've worked with each other for years and then can immediately spot when something's wrong. What is very good is that social media and many other outlets are now starting to come up with things like hand signals for people maybe to signal on a Zoom camera that they're in distress. But also quite a lot of good companies are looking at policies now where they're reducing the amount of time you've got to be on Zoom all day. Um, I haven't actually come across any workplaces where a manager has insisted on having a camera on all day on an employee in their workplace. That would probably breach quite a number of privacy laws as well as just being quite a horrible amount of pressure to work under. I don't know, Don, when you've come across anybody sort of talking about anything like that happening. Nothing quite as extreme as that. Mm -hmm. From a, a personal point of view, I'd object to it hugely. And as you say, there may well be some legal implications as well. Um, I think that would definitely count as bad management. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, mm-hmm. as Bernadette's commented, I think it's very much taking cases uh, individually. So you have to understand the environment the individual is working in. Mm-hmm. So are they working in a shared house? perhaps with a lot of other people, and they're essentially crammed in a single room. So there's lots of other people in the building, but they're crammed in a room and they can't get out of it. Or are they, as you commented earlier, um, at home with all the kids at home, trying to homeschool, and they're having to go and help them get online and do with their homework and everything else. And... It very much does vary country by country. So 
we've got clients uh, on five continents around the world. And you speak to some of them and it's like COVID's non-existent. In New mm -hmm. Zealand, they've got crowds of 30,000 people going to watch rugby games at the moment. Um, whereas, as you say, until recently, France was almost a total lockdown, certainly in the evenings. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got to recognise both the individual situation and the, the country environment. Uh, but it is, uh, from my side, a lot of it is just about listening and talking more. And it's the it's it's making a point of reaching out to people that you wouldn't otherwise have done. So we kicked off something just within our business called Say Hello. Mm -hmm. And it's a peer-to-peer -peer network where somebody just has to establish contact with somebody else in the business just to say hello and have a chat. Right. And that worked really well for a period of time. I think it's kind of burnt itself out by now. But it was a really good initiative. So you'd end up speaking to people you wouldn't normally speak to in the business and just having a chat. And so what can we be doing as um, health and safety professionals to start um, providing some supports? Because part of our role is health, right? And looking after that area. And a lot of the times we do drop the ball. Um, and in the case in with the, the camera on, actually, that is a real case that um, I've heard from several people. I'm a community developer, so I do a lot of conversations online. And unfortunately, it, it is a tactic that some management are using. And so it leads me to think, is there a way that uh, part of our responsibility is sharing people's rights and what health and safety means in the right to feel safe? in your workplace, can we be buddying up with HR and somehow creating um, avenues for employees if they are under distress? Potentially, yes. I think that that would be um, suitable if that um, situation is going on. One of the other, shall we say, less adversarial ways of doing it is encouraging training. And um, one of the things that I've done recently was a LinkedIn working from home training. Right. And it was really well put together by a trainer who was a guy who has worked as a work from home professional for quite a long time. And mm -hmm. he was talking about things like camera etiquette, um, just giving people, you know, not just back to backing every meeting, but resetting in things like Google that your meetings only schedule for 50 minutes in the hour mm -hmm, so that you, mm -hmm. you get those 10 minute bio breaks um, and also one of the things that was very well explained in this training was that you can't read people's minds and what your duties are to be clear about what's wrong people might feel really uncomfortable that a manager is insisting on a certain amount of camera use per day but if they haven't told that manager that that's really inappropriate Mm -hmm. or if they haven't as a group discussed it, or even just actually took a bit of responsibility for themselves and looked maybe on their local government website or what is the privacy laws, because the manager may not have had time to do that, then, you know, you, you there is a bit of self-responsibility for all in looking after their own safety if they're able to do that, mm -hmm. but also less confrontational routes like training where everybody understands what's good for home working could help and maybe just help people have those light bulb moments um, that, oh, maybe I'm not doing the right thing with my team or 
maybe even those managers are having the same experience from their senior managers and that needs flagging back up the Mm -hmm. chain Mm -hmm. because it's very easy to pile everything on the shoulders of a manager but uh, you know that manager is going through this pandemic as well at the moment that manager is being pressured by maybe the next manager up the up the tier and sometimes it's also just about giving leadership good examples to roll Mm -hmm. down through the business Um, so I think we've all seen in the press recently some quite negative coverage of I think it was a a financial leader in one of the big auditing companies um, telling their workers on a zoom call to stop complaining about COVID and that showed a big change that that leader I think ended up resigning quite short afterwards and those examples will help gradually change the whole character of the workplace as people realize what is acceptable and what isn't Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and we all as well have have been sort of beginners with things like zoom Uh, you know six months ago I wasn't so good at angling the lighting and the backgrounds on knowing when to have it set to be mute and not mute and all those things things that employees can control as well um and a learning curve it is a, a learning curve. it is a learning curve and certain things become business norms as time goes on um, and Don, what saw- are your thoughts I think there's actually some uh, really interesting examples we're coming across where uh, workers are actually approaching their own management about aspects of their own safety um, either directly, and mm-hmm. we've, we've certainly seen that, um, particularly as a result of some of the stresses around COVID. So uh, in the UK, as an example, there have been a whole series of people who were setting fires to uh, 5G towers uh, because they were blaming 5G for uh, the COVID epidemic. Um, and people were feeling vulnerable if they were going to work on those towers. Mm-hmm. So they, they've gone to their employers to, to, to say that and see what their employers can do to help safeguard them. We, we've had exactly the same thing, but done via a slightly different route uh, mm-hmm. through unions. So in some environments, the unions have picked up some of the issues surrounding this and are representing the workers on that. And again, we've responded to a number of those where the unions have brought something up. So I think it is, it's an interesting area. And I think you as an individual worker do have a responsibility to raise things, but there may be some people who don't feel empowered or enabled mm-hmm. to do that. And we've yeah. just got to recognize that. I think also... Um, what needs to be done is creating safe spaces for people to feel comfortable and share. And because um, sometimes like, you know, I've been a worker in a big company and it can be overbearing to figure out where to go to say, hey, I need help. Um, Sometimes management thinks it's very simple oh, well, you just go to that person. But then when the actual worker tries to navigate that, um, they're not, they're not met with, um, somebody who's like, oh yeah, you know, I can help you with that. They're often met with, well, have you gone back and had a discussion with your manager? Right. And if, if the manager is the one who is, is creating the unsafe space, that's not 
a adequate answer. Remote workers are really hidden to the rest of the organization. And so that is an area um, protecting the, the, the remote workers in that sense. What are your thoughts around that? One thing that coronavirus has had as a, as a positive effect has been that in a number of countries, their governments have required um, employers to risk assess for coronavirus, but it's also reinforced to employers their duty to consult with employees. Mm-hmm. And it has actually raised the profile of safety. Um, recently, I have never seen so many safety jobs advertised on platforms like LinkedIn because companies are realizing that there are areas they may have overlooked for some time that um, they're now having to focus on and interact. So I hope that a positive that comes out of this pandemic is that people start to feel less overlooked. But I also completely agree with you that experience of in the past where people have gone to managers and managers have said, go look here. And then that person has said, has you consulted with your manager? It's almost like a time by to not have to act on an issue. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes an event to push things hard to make um, change. And I, yeah. I hope that it actually it's going to help both the position of the safety professional raising to the business the importance of different aspects, as well as helping employees be able to comfortably talk to us. If it raises the profile of the safety professional, it will make us more visible to then be able to represent the workforce. Um, and I hope it raises the profile as well of, of products like what Don provides. Um, I don't know whether you feel that it's done that for you, Don. I think it has, yeah. Um, and that, just going back to one of the things you mentioned earlier, you mentioned employee assistance programs. That 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 is a great um, impartial place for people to go. It's a safe space for people to use your terminology tomorrow for people to go and chat to somebody that isn't directly part of the company. And that is a great way to raise concerns if you feel you can't find a safe space in the company. So I think that's well worth mentioning. In in terms of have we noticed the, the change recently? Yes, absolutely. I think people's working practices have changed, whether it's two guys in a truck, no, sorry, one guy in a truck rather than two, whether it's people not going back to the depot at the end of the day, but being keeping their truck at home. All of that change of working practice means people are looking again at their risk assessments mm-hmm. and looking again at those risk assessments, we've seen a huge increase in inquiries coming through to us uh, and also existing clients of ours rolling out to, to more groups. So yes, the, the, the pandemic has had that effect across our whole client base and, and globally as well, generally. So multiple countries across the globe. And I think one of the balls that the health and safety individual can pick up is, is the health side. And we're supposed to be providing resources and access to resources and support. So instead of saying to somebody, oh, yeah, we have a, an employee assistant program, go use that. You can even provide avenues about like what does the employee assistant program have to offer, right? Kind of break it down for people 
Because yeah. to say to yeah. somebody, we have an assistance program, go do it. That is when you're in crisis or you're in distress and you're, you're facing um, depression or, or whatever you're going through, that is not a time for somebody to start picking through a big, large uh, mammoth of a program to figure out, well, where do I go? They're already overwhelmed, right? Like if somebody had an accident at work and they cut off a finger, right? We would be calling the ambulance. We would be helping there. There would be people there to help get them to the hospital to where they get repaired, right? So my question is with mental health, why do we just say, well, we've got a program, go, go over there and figure it out could we not be actually educating ourselves as a health and safety professional about the different pieces of those programs and navigating people a little bit better, depending on, on some of the things that we're seeing? Well, we do. And many companies now have got mental health first aid training. But do also, we though? Do we? It's, a, it, it's very common in the UK. It's very okay. common in, in places like Europe. So mental health is and mental health was a taboo subject not to be talked about in some mm-hmm. countries up until a couple of years ago. So if you're working in somewhere like UAE, the United Arab Emirates, mental health was really a not to be talked about subject. But now in the last year or so, it has been taken up as something that is important. But there's a general conversation out there in the world that also is, um, I think, gaining more um, uh, traction, just generally being kind. And not every stressful situation needs to go to a professional. Sometimes it's just down to one person to say to another, are you okay? Mm. And, you know, do you want to just go for a coffee? Do you need a chat? Or if you spot something that really is deteriorating um, with an individual that you're working with, to maybe take it upon yourself to go and privately speak in a safe space to their manager or HR and say, I think this individual is very professional. They hold it together every day. I'm not sure if you realize they're actually having a tough time. What can we do to help them? And it, it's that observance. And it's also not being ashamed to talk to people. Health and safety professionals generally, I think, are quite outgoing individuals. Sometimes we can be seen as a little bit scary because we're the people who police rules and regulations. But the profession has to develop in the direction as well, where we're also empathizers with people as well and that we're someone that people can talk to in confidence and even I've had stressful days throughout this where I've needed to go and have a chat in a safe space with someone saying this is crazy Mm -hmm. and as a profession it's really important to have peers or friends or people that you can just say are you okay and that can be enough sometimes to just help someone and stop them descending into a much worse place in mental health. Yeah, yeah. There's been a big drive, uh, particularly in the UK, on that in the construction industry, uh, because they did some analyses a few years back where they were looking at, among other things, suicide rates in the mm-hmm. construction industry, and they're way higher than most other industries. And they looked at it more generally and they had a problem around mental health. So there's now a, a big push, particularly in that industry, for people to both to train management and staff in mental first aid, 
but also just to encourage people to talk more. Because mm -hmm. being construction workers, there was kind of a macho attitude of, you know, I'm okay, I can survive. And it's just encouraging people to speak and talk. And we're seeing that in various other geographies as well, as Bernadette said. Um, I think the other thing that employers do generally overlook, and particularly at the moment is causing people stress, is financial well-being. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, if, if we have employed by us the main bread earner in a family, that's fine. Uh, they're, they're still employed, we haven't had to furlough them, they're probably feeling quite um, relaxed in terms of their financial well-being. But quite often there is another bread earner in the family who may be the major earner and mm -hmm. they're unemployed. And all right. of a sudden you've got a very stressful situation in, in the home. And there are some great programmes out there where the employer can assist the employees with their financial well-being to the extent of providing much lower cost loans that they can subsume credit card debt into. Um, and that kind of thing can have a huge impact because we all know what happens if you're worried about paying the bills this month or this month's mortgage payment or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think as an add-on, that's well worthwhile looking at. So you I were don't know, Bernadette, if you've come across any of those. Um, yeah, the I, I know we, we were sort of saying you don't want someone to get lost in a website on EAPs, but some of the EAPs that I've dealt with actually do not just talk about stress, but they'll help people with legal advice and um, financial advice and things like that. I, I really, though can't sort of fully quantify how frightening a situation it is for so many industries that have had to shut their doors for a long time period. People in the service sector, people who operate things like beauty industry, even some of the smaller scale medical um, sort of industries have had to shut in certain areas under different regulations. The stress and the financial impacts of that on individuals and the overall impact on family life, how they feel at home with friends and family, that I think we're yet to realize the enormity of the situation, especially for the small self-employed business owners as well. So it's very easy to talk about maybe what some of the bigger players have done and have done right. Mm -hmm. But there, there is still it has been described in some press that i've read a tsunami of issues yet to face us to come and yeah. we're going to have to develop how we do that and that will be a mixture of both the health and safety professional supporting and voicing concern it will be governments um doing their activities we've got some big challenges ahead this isn't just going to be that everyone gets vaccinated within a six to 18 month period and everything goes back to normal there are some big problems that we're building up that we're going to have to face as time goes on. Yeah. So I, I went through the um, that first aiders, mental health first aid course myself. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I found is it was really good for me as an individual to be identifying different types of uh, mental health concerns, right? But it didn't really talk about how 
to navigate somebody through the system. And so since you said you, you do have some experience with this, maybe because it's not something that's really been picked up a lot in North America, maybe you could share with other health and safety professionals some tips about how they could be supporting their employees to get through something like that AEP program, because it's not something that typically they've been doing over here in North America anyways, and to, to provide that protection and coverage. So one of the biggest companies that I've dealt with that deal with it are actually a North American company called Anthem EAP. Mm-hmm. And so Great. generally when they provide services into a company, um, that tends to be published by the HR department on things like intranets, but it's mm-hmm. still training down to manager level. So there's a, there's a health and safety and a HR sort of double team here that's needed okay. to start to get managers and workforce familiar with the fact that there's a service there that they can use. Um, that again, though, is a still us looking at the big corporation that doesn't necessarily manage for the little small sort of five to 20 individual business who may not have the finances to buy that kind of support um, I'm hoping that, you know, it's part of the bigger collective um, industry bodies that we're members of. So in the UK, I'm a member of IOSH. Um, they publish quite a lot on how to help employees, but I think there's going to be a lot more information needed out there to help everybody, not just help those companies who are, shall we say, financially solvent enough to mm-hmm. be able to do all of these solutions it's going to be a real mix of solutions. It isn't just talking through, shall we say, what one provider does versus another. But you're right that it can't just be hidden on an intranet. It needs to be um, something that everyone in the company is made aware of, that there's repeat training, there's repeat, repeat communications. If a company has morning meetings or town halls, there should be time given to this to talk to people about it and tell them that it's there. Or mm-hmm. say, if you're having problems, let us know so that we can maybe try and assist. I like I, I like what you were saying about the the um, providing coaching and training to the management teams mm-hmm. um, and supervisor teams, because they're going to be probably the first line of defense in picking up if somebody is under distress, um, whether it's a part of the people that are direct reports to them or even somebody who's like a, a peer to peer. Um, One of the things that are coming to mind when you're saying smaller companies, they could also be looking at within their own community what uh, social services are available, if that is an option too, right? So I think it's a time to also kind of think out of the box. Like we look, we're really good at finding PPE. We're really Mm -hmm. good at finding lockout and tagouts and uh, little signs to put all over the place. Right. So use those skills in in hunting out what kind of resources might be available and even just like, you know, creating um, some information opportunities where maybe you have a clinic where you can talk to people about, hey, these are the different type of resources I have found, you know, and just kind of just like you would if you were doing, say, ladder safety. But now you're implying it to um, uh, mental phys- uh, mental fitness is what I like to call it, right? Er- ergon- ergonomics for our brains. Does that make us feel more comfortable if we like put a technical phrase around it? That's a really nice way of thinking about how to do it. That yeah, in the smaller environments, 
health and safety professionals can pull together the packs. I mean, Don, I'm thinking of like Martin Lewis, the money saving expert that we have in the UK that we could point employees to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and there are some free uh, resources online. That's one of the joys of the, the internet. Yeah. is that you yeah. do find some free resources and some of the uh, mental health charities have free resources that you can access. So well worth while having a look at those. There's a really good charity called Mind. Yeah. yeah. And they've got amazing information on their website that it doesn't matter what country you're in, it, it's good advice. Um, There was one other piece of advice given to me by a director that I worked with last year. And she said to me every morning now she's replaced her commute with getting up and going and walking for half an hour on her own around her local area. And she said to me, do that. It will help your head. It helps give you space and it helps give you that alone time where you might have gathered your thoughts previously on the commute to work. And I took her advice and from December last year, I started doing that every morning. I get up at the time that I would have got up at previously to get into my car and travel to work, even if it's raining. And I've gone out and I've walked around my sort of local block and I'm lucky enough that there's quite a nice park a couple of blocks away from me. Mm-hmm. And I do that every morning. And it's great because I see people out walking their dogs and they, uh, people have become more friendly and they've said hi and things like that over the pandemic. I just get a bit of visual stimulation, maybe seeing if somebody's doing something different in their garden or um, there's been a big thing for putting praise up for our local medical workers in the UK. Mm-hmm. And they're all things that are uplifting and nice. So even that as a simple self-help measure could be a really good one to recommend to workers. Replace your commute with time that's still for you where you go for a walk or you do some exercise or you just walk out in your back garden and get some fresh air or even go to the shop to go and get a coffee that you might have previously got when you got to work in the past. Yeah. And another idea that's coming to my head is I worked for another company and we used to have employee groups that did different stuff. So we had a yoga group, we had a book reading club, we have different clubs. And so this would be a good time to maybe also kind of Um, create some group opportunities, right? Working with your HR, health and safety, kind of working collaboratively to saying, hey, what kind of maybe Zoom groups could we be providing to people? Because you can do yoga together on Zoom. Uh, We did that. Um, The walking club, right? You could have like a a check-in thing like, um, hey, Bradadette, did you do your walk today? Yep, I did my walk. And so you've got like a a little telegram of people kind of motivating each other, you know, and if you you didn't hear some back from somebody on the group, you can say, hey, Don, how are you doing today? Did you get out and do your walk? Uh, You know what? It was really hard for for me. Hey, well, do you have 15 minutes today? Maybe we could do it together and book a walkout, you know, like, you know, a walkabout where yeah. you both kind of. Book no, some that of those initiatives minutes. are really good. Because it's yeah. also about um, how do you keep people motivated we- and energy up? Yeah. We had within the company, we had a New Year's challenge group that they set themselves a whole series of challenges in the new year. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
we actually raised some money for charity on the back of it. So if they met their their goal, we raised some money. But just getting that group together with a common purpose that was outside work, that was a, a good initiative. It was just done by one of the team members. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. there are lots of things like that you can do, both inside work and outside. So outside work, I've got a, a group that meets up on a Saturday evening for a, a virtual beer. Well, actually, mm -hmm. it's a real beer, but virtually. Um, and we are just a group of guys who used to play rugby together. And we spend most of our time talking about tries we scored that we probably never actually did. <laughs> There's been another lovely thing that I've seen run in a couple of different guises in different countries where because people are at home and they've got a bit more time potentially on their hands at the moment because they're not traveling and they're not able to do their usual social family visits, where they've been encouraged to embrace maybe some past hobbies like doing art. And there's been a really big series that's run twice in the UK now called Grayson's Art Club where people have had to draw a different or create a different piece of artwork each week. And again, that just stimulates the mind and lifts people again. Um, so, yeah, encouraging people holistically, shall we say, to um, have more uplifting things in their life that help with their mental health is, is a really good idea to consider. And it is a little bit of a step away from our usual worries about ladders and fire extinguishers and... Uh, <laughs> Low workers. <laughs> yeah. The tangible things that we're so good at. Now, I did want to share with you um, one app that I know about is FormScore. And it's really cool because you can actually have different people. I don't think you can see that. Um, no, you can't see it. I have to screenshot it. Um, but you can have different people. Um join your form score. And then what it is, is that you give a number to how you're feeling today. Right? So in my form score, I have four other people. And so then we can see how each other are doing today. And if somebody is, um, is feeling a little bit like a less number, like four or something, kind of check in with them over chat and say, Hey, you know, I just wanted to, to see, how you're doing today, I saw that your form was a number four and yesterday it was a nine. Kind of like, did you wanna talk about what happened? That, and so I think also thinking out of the box and what different tools um, can we, cause there's a lot of apps and um, stuff out there that people could be using. Don, do you have any ideas in that app world? Um, not particularly, cause I think if, if we are looking at improving people's mental well-being, I'm a firm believer that it's got to be around talking in most cases. Mm -hmm. And either the individual's got to instigate that conversation or somebody who knows them or comes across them has to instigate that. I think technology has its place but in terms of mental well-being i think it is humans that will help out on that don't know if you disagree bernadette no i agree completely and um also sort of in the mental health space a number of the 
people that I've sort of seen speak about it recently have been linking too much screen time potentially to causing mental health issues, especially sort of in younger people who tend to be quite fixated on um, getting approval on apps and things like Instagram and where sometimes if you post that you're feeling down today, you can almost end up in a situation where you've shared something that you might not want to be there forever in the digital space. I still oh. think there is a huge um, value in people and I don't want us to be fully automated out and replaced because then that almost takes away the need for what we as health and safety professionals do as well. That there is, there is definitely a place for technology, but there's a bigger place definitely for people. Well, the form score that I'm talking about, that's not on Facebook or anything like that. That's a private um, that you would just use, like you and I would use it together. But that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that yeah. Don would necessarily be able to see it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what it is more is just kind of like a, a mood tracker amongst friends or, mm-hmm. you know, it maybe maybe you have a club that um, that's something that you might use. And so it is meant to Rob's Rob's thinking was it was actually meant to p- provide an opportunity for human conversation. Because then you would actually instead of saying to somebody, so how are you today? And the person's like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Right. If you know that if they scored a five today, they're not really fine. So don't ask them how they are because because that's a bad question to ask people. Right. Um, I think fine has almost become a word that means the opposite. It is, yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, yeah. And so his idea was like, how can we create a something that would kind of lift the conversation to a different place where, oh, you know, I see you're a four today. Is there anything that I can help you with? Is there anything in, in that way? And I agree with you about the Facebook and stuff. Like that's not the kind of technology that'll help you that could actually do more detrimental sometimes. I've actively found I've had to stop watching the news now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll do a certain amount, but um, not too much. And that's advice that's also been given to me by many of my friends around me. They find that that's not good. Mm-hmm. As I say, limiting the screen time. Um, the phrase that keeps going through my mind is communication is something like only three or 5% verbal and everything else is in many other sort of indicators, be it someone's face, their demeanor. You might notice that a colleague even on zoom doesn't necessarily turn up in their full makeup like they used to, or Mm -hmm. they don't look like they've washed their hair as much. There are so many little indicators that if we learn to be a little bit more observant of, we can, we can sort of pick up on and and know that maybe it's time not to ask questions that can be closed off with one word like yes or no or fine yeah. mm-hmm. but the, the skills in asking open questions not just for mental health but for many things in life really are skills that we all need to probably learn a little bit more of yeah because there there's been a huge increase in stress at home I mean I was reading some statistics from one of the larger um, helplines 
for domestic abuse victims. And they're saying they've had a 70%, 70% increase in, in calls since the start of the pandemic. And that's just a huge increase. And the, the only reason is just people spending more time at home in more stressed environments. But to get that kind of increase, and those are people who don't have other outlets in many cases. Mm -hmm. um, they just need to speak to someone and get advice. Uh, but it is the human again, I think. I hope the pandemic has given a lot of people the opportunity to perhaps reevaluate their situations maybe going forward. Mm -hmm. um, work takes up such a large proportion of our lives that when it's all consuming and you're traveling constantly or you're under pressure to be in the office or under pressure to deliver, I think sometimes you don't necessarily stop and evaluate your surroundings. And that's not just necessarily relationships or home pressures, but even are you just in your own life doing enough things that give you joy Mm -hmm. that it isn't just your job that you're relying on for all of your input and help. I mean, um, so for some people, their joy comes from their family. For other people, it's cooking. Some people, it's alone time. Some people, it's time walking maybe with a dog. Um, I hope that the pandemic has perhaps given people enough time to stop and pause and maybe think of one or two things they want to change as part of life as it goes forward. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. We are up our, our time. Um, if you wanted to leave a few last thoughts with our audience, what would you like to say to them? So I guess from, from, from my side, going back to the, the start of the conversation, I think uh, that the current pandemic has radically changed the way in which people are working, whether they're spending, spending more time at home or it's just changed the way in which they're working out in the field. I think when people look at the increased risks around that, they are starting to evaluate what they need to do to safeguard themselves against those risks. And part of that is perhaps looking after their mental health better um, and certainly charities like Mind, who are a customer of ours, actually, um, do a great job in providing support on that. Um, the other aspect, though, is, is the physical aspect. You've got people out there who are under more threat, whether they're working at home or out in the field. And people just need to look at are they making the right provisions to look after those employees in whatever that changed environment is. I think from my point of view, none of us know all the answers. This is a situation we're all working through together. I'm really happy with the extra focus it's given on safety, be it for loan workers or general planning of safety in workplaces. But the biggest thing I've learned from it is be kind to others, mm -hmm. be kind to yourself, and that we just need to take the time and observe what everybody's going through and try and support each other in any way that we can. And that can be through good um, employee assist programs, or it can just be from asking open questions to each other and saying, are you okay? Or how's your day going? And trying to 
not just be a rules-based workplace that's got to tick regulatory boxes, but look at many different soft skills that help. Well, thank you very much. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Tamara. Good to speak to you. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Women in Safety. If you're looking for resources for your team, please navigate to safepedia.com where we're updating our safety content daily. Until next time, stay safe.